0: Hey, friends, Noah here from the New Evangelicals podcast. This is just a quick trigger warning to let you know that in this episode, we are discussing issues of sexual abuse and the John MacArthur scandals.
1: All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. This is this is going to be like a our, our, I think, new recurring segment, Noah. I'm not sure if we're going to call this bonus episode or whatever, but I like having these talks. We did one a few weeks ago, just you and I kind of shooting the shit, really, and talking about what's going on in evangelical culture. So I think we're going to do this every so often, and today is another day where we're going to do it. And we're posting this right away. So this is being recorded on a Friday April 29th and it's going to drop on a Friday, April 29th. Because this this is like a different kind of vibe than our normal interview interviewee format. So, I'm pumped to do this. So, good to be with you again.
0: You too, dude. Glad to be here. We've got <laughs> so many things to talk about this week. My oh my God. gosh.
1: I know. I know. I am um I was in Miami this past weekend for my sister's wedding and then I got home Tuesday and then we have of course an infant and a 2-year-old and like my I still don't know what day it is. I don't know which way is up. The <laughs> wedding weekend was the wedding itself was beautiful. My sister is a hair she owns her own hair salon and it's very Jersey Shore and so picture Jersey Shore in Miami with all the bachelor party, bachelorette party stuff and then imagine a wedding that 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 none of us could afford. Even if we pulled all our resources together, I mean, she, you know, she could have bought a house. And the wedding was beautiful; it was yeah. phenomenal. But there was a lot of energy that we had to give to make it all happen. And I am still trying to recover <laughs> from being away in Miami for the weekend. Truly,
0: I, I saw some of the pictures that you posted, and I, I thought these were like you know snapshots from the next Bachelor episode or something. It was bizarre <laughs> but amazing. It looked like so much fun.
1: Yeah, you know, my sister and I and my brother, we're all very different, um, but we're always there for each other. We get along great. And, you know, we had to pull some strings. My brother ended up becoming the matron of honor. So my my brother, for those of you who don't know... He's six foot two, three seventy five. His arms are blacked out for tattoos. Okay, they're not tattooed; they are blacked out. He has head tattoos. So there he is, holding a bouquet on the on the bride's <laughs> side. <laughs> and then I, I I whipped up like a like a a, um, a best man made of honor speech that my brother and I gave. So it re- honestly, like I said, it really went well. The venue was beautiful. Um, no nothing was 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 left untouched regarding like just the The extravagant nature of everything. But man, from Friday when I landed to Tuesday when I got home, it was just go, 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 go. And my wife was at home with the kids because, you know, our newest one, Harper, just too young to fly. And it really worked out, honestly, because my sister needed me. Like just some things did not go according to plan. And so my brother and I had to make a lot of audibles and just kind of handle a lot of stuff. And so. Um it worked out. I really missed not having Sarah there, but it it ended up working out for the best.
0: Yeah. That's awesome, dude. I'm really glad you had a good time. Like I said, I I love the pictures. So, it looked like a lot of fun. <laughs> but what word. a word. Yeah. What a week to to keep track of between that and um just everything else that's going on in our pocket of the universe uh... right now. I I don't even know how to keep track of it anymore, dude. I feel like I'm missing something every day.
1: Well, we're getting to the point in DMs where I'm getting so many, hey, are you aware of this? Hey, are you aware of this? We're like, I I would need another full-time job (laughs) just to read all those DMs and keep up on them. Now, that being said, I love getting them. Like, please keep the DMs coming, you know? But we just can't respond to everything. At this point, Noah, we need a massive infusion of cash so we can start a news network. I mean that's that's how many stories we're getting. Yeah. I would love to I would love one day if it ever works out where we can have a legitimate like, you know, online news presence because there is a, there are enough stories to go around to keep plenty of people busy for a long time yeah. trying to unpack how complicated so many of these I mean we haven't talked about meeting house up in Canada yeah. uh, about the abuse up there oh my God. and there's you know and then also there's I think it's called Celebrate or Celebration Church a big church in Florida oh, I got to find it someone just sent me an article about that and how the founders are you know a, a third party report has found them guilty of embezzling money and and they're yeah, it's Celebration Church. Um you know, um it's 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 one thing after another. And and it, it is hard to keep up, man. It, it, it's kind of eye-opening. Like when you know when, when I started this this work, I thought, well, you know, there's there's some bad apples, but like, you know, we can find the good. And yeah. obviously there are still good people doing good things. We always have to say that. But it just seems like 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 these cases of abuse and, and you know narcissistic pastors um, or or people who hide abuse. Yeah. It just seems like like a fire hose of, of of these stories coming to light, both in church and in parachurch ministries. Yeah. You know, I just did a live with Ashton, uh, who, who who's a survivor now conqueror, as he put it, of of the camp. Um, how do you pronounce it? Canna or something like that. Um, I think you so. know, and, and yeah, That's uh, how I I it can, yeah, yeah. And you know, just, just how they've for decades have had counselors who have molested campers and he was one of them, you know, and he's telling me the story on Instagram live. You, you can go there and watch it. I'm trying not to cry. His story is amazing, but th- this is not just like one or two things. And these are very powerful people that commit these atrocities and they're protected by the institution, I, I think that that's one more thing I wanted to mention, and I know I'm talking a lot already, and I'm sorry, Noah, to have you on here as, like, my therapist at this <laughs> point, you know, but but honestly, like, I'm realizing that that just as bad, like, it's bad enough. That John MacArthur, for example, right, that John MacArthur has now not one, not two, but three separate stories from Julie Roy's documenting how uh, John MacArthur and GCC, Grace Community Church, that's his church, have covered up or hidden or or have failed to report, you know, men who were molesting children while on staff or, or teaching in some capacity at GCC. Yeah. And more, so that's bad. And then what makes it worse is that the inst- is that the people around those people, the institution, the culture, they 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 don't bring it up. They they don't yeah. demand accountability. You know, I've had pastors say, "Hey, we don't agree on a lot, but I agree this John I thing is problematic." Great. So what are you doing about it? Are you writing John? Are you writing his publisher? Because that, that that's what we have to do at this point. Yeah. Like the only way for real accountability to happen is if, is it if, is if the people in power who can actually make things change. Actually pull those triggers, you know. I, I, we can podcast for the next week. I, I can make another hundred videos on John MacArthur. It won't change a damn thing until the people around him and the systems that that promote him and, and make him a lot of money. I mean, he makes a lot of money, you know. Until those systems hold them to account, we're gonna be in the same, you know, the the same loop of chaos.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the the meeting house one that you brought up there, that one hit me in the gut, I think, more than any of these other ones that have come up recently. I don't know how hmm. much you were um how much you followed Bruxy KV or not, who was kind of the center not of the Not much a lot of that. not much. But as far as the um his he's one of the larger brethren in Christ churches up there, which is Anabaptist though, so by, by definition they wouldn't necessarily be considered evangelical, but they definitely fall into that category at more of a cultural level um but the stuff that he was doing to challenge the theology of evangelical culture the theology of hell and atonement and so many of the things that he was doing the books he was writing were hitting me in such a meaningful place that when I saw that one it was it was heartbreaking and and humbling to to remember that this is this goes beyond you know some of the people that we might want to see as problematic because of a certain theology or another that there's something much deeper there's something systematic going on here and i had a conversation yeah. with it Um, About that with a friend of mine who runs a a website and news organization called Baptist Accountability, which is focused on um, essentially whistleblowing for uh, pastors in Baptist churches that are being protected for consistent abuse of power um, and sexual abuse and scandals and all these things that have gone on. And I asked them from their perspective, because she has just seen this over and over and over and over again and talked with so many survivors, like, what's the common thread here? Like, what mm. what, what do we actually look to as a solution here? And
1: yeah. she
0: broke it down and said that the the biggest problem are these these power dynamics, the way in which the authority yeah. structures are set up. It just enable this kind of behavior. There's no way to maintain those systems and not have the risk of this sort of thing happening again which was really challenging to me because you think about that, like what are, the, what are our other options? You know, like how do we move forward in a different way? Um, and I think that those are kind of the questions that we have to be asking to look for real change to happen. It's exactly like you said, the those structures, those systems and institutions are still propping these people up and supporting them and protecting them. And in a lot of cases, not in the, maybe not in the case of, of, say, Bruxy, but in a lot of these cases, um, particularly John MacArthur's, the theology is acting as sort of a wall of defense for those power structures because those structures are being defended by a certain, um, problematic interpretation of the Bible, right? Which is, you know, protecting these people in a lot of ways. So there's just layers and layers and layers and layers to this. And maybe, maybe it'd be helpful too, for people that are listening and aren't totally aware of everything that's been going on because it feels like every day it just keeps Building and building and building, especially with Grace Community Church and John MacArthur's, um, all the scandals that are going on there. Do you think you'd be able to kind of summarize, like, what's what's going on there? What are some of these reports saying um, for anyone that's not aware of that?
1: Yeah. I, so there. So first, I'm going to recommend that 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 if you're really interested, that you go right to the source, JulieRoyce com, the Royce Report. She has three or four articles up there now, documenting different times when. Um there were men who were on staff as pastors uh, who ended up being child abusers and molesters. Now, it's the stories are very complicated as far as all the layers, and, and, and we could be here for an hour unpacking each one. Here are, 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 are the three different stories in a nutshell. The first one is with David Gray. Um, he was someone who was on staff at, at GCC, and um, he was abusing his kids and abusing his wife physically. She tried to file for separation. The elders insisted, essentially, that that because David says he's sorry, she should reconcile, she didn't want to, they publicly shamed her, and then it came out later on that he was also sexually molesting her children. He then finally got arrested and is now serving, I think, 20 years to life in prison uh, for for um, his, his abuse of, of his kids. There's a lot to that story. Um, um, One thing that sticks out to me is that is that the elders at GCC and John MacArthur they attempted to raise funds for his legal defense for David um, for David Gray's legal defense and. David Grace started a prison ministry and John MacArthur wrote him a letter hinting, kind of alluding to that maybe the, the, the conviction was a wrongful conviction. So that's one story we're dealing with. And again, all the receipts are there. All the details are there. The second story is with someone named Paul Gay. Um, I'm going to pull that up just so I make sure I'm I have the details in front of me. But um this happened in the late 1970s. Again, he was a pastor on staff. He was molesting his daughter. Eventually, through a, a series of twists and turns, John MacArthur, another elder and 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 um and Paul met. Paul confessed to MacArthur in like the late 1970s. Uh, about the molestation, he wrote, John wrote a handwritten letter to his daughter, Wendy, who was the one being molested, uh, where essentially he said, you know, God has... um Let me pull pull up the actual quotes here. There's a few that are important. Um, You know, one quote is, I'm sorry about all the problems you've been through, but I believe the Lord is working in a very special way. Another quote, your dad is really sad about it all, and we have met and talked at length about the situation. And also that that letter said that, you know, hey, he's staying on staff. Now, Paul was eventually fired several years later in the late 1980s or mid-1980s for kissing a secretary. Um, So that's what finally got him fired, not molesting his own daughter. And then eventually Wendy, again, and the daughter who was molested, tried to confront MacArthur in the early 2000s, and then MacArthur denied it, saying, I, I never knew, we had no idea. There's other parts of that, too. It turns out Paul was a serial abuser. He molested his own niece. Um, he he tried to molest um, other people in his family. And Paul was also on staff at other churches, including a lead pastor position, for 30-plus years until he died. And the one church, they confronted Paul with the family. And the church said, hey, Um, we get it, we understand, but we're keeping him on staff anyway. And that is not an exaggeration. You can read it again. You can read the article. And the last one is a little more, it came out a little more recently. And again, I would still say it's obviously egregious, but I would say it's not as egregious as these other two because essentially what happened was the, the headline is John MacArthur's church failed to report kidnapper and child molester for two years. So um, this is someone else who was teaching Sunday school. Uh, he confessed in a counseling session um, to you know um, committed sex crimes, uh, committing sex crimes against children, and it took about two years for GCC to finally uh, re- report the abuse. Now again, these are these are the high level overviews. These reports are very detailed. You can see the emails. You can see the notes. You, I mean, all the receipts are there. So that's what's been happening with John MacArthur. Now, it's bad enough for this to happen one time, but for it to happen three times, is, is, is it is evil. And then, of course, like we've said, Noah, watching the white evangelical machine you know, minimize, um, not say much. Very few people calling for accountability. No one in real power making any changes possible. Yeah. Owen Strachan, is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, Strain. I don't know, but Owen Strain, he's you know, a, a far right fundamentalist guy um, who really out there just just tweeted out or um, um, sent out on his Facebook page um, a promo because GCC is doing like a men's event. This is new. You know, this is still this is wow. this is being promoted now. So. It's very frustrating, and and that's why the other day I did a reel, and I I just said, like, I'm just not convinced. You know, when I first started this account, when I first started New Evangelicals, my hope was we can change things from the inside out. I was still part of a church. I had no desire to leave. Yeah. You know, and a year and a half later, I'm I've I was asked to leave the worship team, which of course is really asking me to leave the church. Who honestly, I mean, who who stays on who stays at the church that 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 they've been kicked out of like when it comes to serving? But right. anyway, and, you know, I'm out of there and then I'm I'm just seeing story after story like this. And this John MacArthur thing, the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because John MacArthur is the fundamentalist. He is the conservative evangelical thinker. Him and John Piper are like the two greats, right, that have sold millions of copies of books. John has a Bible commentary, a study Bible. He's sold millions of copies. This is is not some Joe Schmo down the street with with no power or no influence besides who's in his congregation. This man reaches quite literally millions of people globally, right? And to have these stories come out, About him protecting, covering up for, minimizing men who are abusing not just children but their own children, right? That it it makes me want to just pull my hair out. It makes me want to, you know, it makes me want to commit physical violence on the church property (laughs) itself, not towards John, (laughs) but you know, it makes me want to, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it makes me want to go and just like vandalize the church. It does. I would never do that, for the record. I'm just saying, like, like that's the kind of urgency I have, where it's like. What is going on here? So, you know, I, I was hoping that 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 these stories would be a real breaking point where we could say, look, thank God, white evangelicalism, white culture in in America has has a breaking point and we found it. But but this, I mean, talk about total depravity. <laughs> 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 right? I think we're just seeing I think we're just seeing how deep these allegiances go to the point to the point where where they will defend their own um who protect pedophiles and yeah. Ali B. Stuckey one more thing I'll say and then I'll give it over to you Noah <laughs> is that no, you know Allie B. Stuckey okay I guess <laughs> but the point is to have a conversation here I am just ranting um but you know Ali B. Stuckey finally spoke out about about this about one of the stories the one that was posted a little while ago and I I did I just did a response video to it I posted on our Instagram and on YouTube her 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 response was horrible it wasn't mm-hmm. even accurate she didn't she didn't even even report the stories accurately I mean I'm I'm like I'm watching this pulling out my hair saying this is like some of the this is maybe in my view Ali sucky's worst take on anything that I've ever seen from her I mean that's how bad it is it is so misinformed yeah. like the, her timeline is wrong you can read four paragraphs in the article and see that 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 Ali is already off the mark. So I don't know. I'm just frustrated. I think I think between being still tired from Miami emotionally, having the newborn right, and then and then the the, the two year old, and being tired from that, and then this, it just like has pushed me over the edge of saying like I don't know if this is salvageable. Yeah. I I, I don't know if I don't know if like a remodel is 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 the fix here because it seems like these issues are much more systemic. Yeah. I'm, I'm
0: finding myself more and more every day in the exact same place. And this, this last report that came out, the one about, uh, is it Allegretti? Is that how you pronounce the name?
1: Oh, is that something you mean the guy? uh, uh, Yeah. The third MacArthur story. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, right.
0: This one, this one, I think is the one that broke me more than any of the others. The, the report here, you know, it describes, he admits to having sex with these underage girls, sometimes forcing them into it by pretending he had a gun. Um, ends up, you know, doing this kidnapping. Thankfully, this girl's able to escape out of the car. I think at a stoplight, if I remember right. But the church covers this up and they say, essentially, they, they justify not taking it to the police. They, from what I understand from the report, they told him that he should go to the police, but they do nothing as a church. They don't do anything to reach out to the police and say, Hey, there's a very, very serious issue here. And I think they allow him to continue in ministry as well. Um, please correct me if I'm wrong on that. That's, that's how I read it. Um, and they only, they only, the church only got involved at a a, a um, uh, systemic level, institutional level, um, when they found out the cops were looking for him, you know, when there mm-hmm. was some kind of liability on their end that could come in and get involved here, you know, and that just, I, that was kind of a breaking point for me in this whole. I mean, obviously, all of this has been atrocious, but. There's, there's a very clear sense that they're only, at, at a systematic level, they're only looking out for themselves and to protect their interests and their empire. Uh, and this is just what you see happening over and over again in these churches and the response that, that, you know, we're getting when these reports come out and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so incredibly crystal clear. Like, why isn't there an uprising in the pews, you know? Why aren't we working against this Cause, and saying, no, this is evil. And as people following after Christ, we will not stand for this. And there's just this obsessive way means of like protecting the empire and raising these people up on this heroic pedestal where they can do no wrong. And any of this stuff that comes out just must be a lie. And yeah, it's I'm, I'm struggling so much with this and I'm struggling with the at a, at a very core level. Like this seems to come from this. We, we place this incredible amount of value on these charismatic leaders that can get up in front of thousands and thousands of people and, just, you know, exude this kind of confidence that bring, brings all this loyalty and heroism to them and then they can just do no wrong. And then at that point, so much evil just goes by unchecked. And it, it seems yeah, like such yeah. a systematic thing that that's yeah, kind of what we've, yeah. what evangelicalism as a culture has come to value in in leadership. And then when that's the value, when that's the objective, when that's what we're working towards, any of these things that come up is just going to be seen as a threat that has to be squashed down and wiped away because you're you're messing with our system, you know?
1: Yes. And you're messing with our God, right? I mean, right. That, that is yeah. what makes this so insidious is that they don't see it as their empire. They see it as God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. They see what they're doing as protecting the quote unquote truth of God's you know, revealed word, They see it as saving souls from the pits of hell. Right. Right. So when you critique or when you try and hold these men accountable, I mean, Ali says this in her her commentary. She essentially, I'm paraphrasing and I'm putting words in a more blunt way, but she essentially says like, you know, well, look at all the good John's done. Right. Like like John's a faithful preacher of the word. I mean, really like what's a what's a few pedophiles in this church compared to the millions that that he's reached? I mean, that is the impression you yeah. get watching yeah. the video, and and that's how so many see it, right? They see someone like John. Well, look at all the fruit. This this is the this is the delusion that even Hillsong, same thing. Mm-hmm. Brian Houston, right? Look at all the fruit, though. Yeah, maybe Brian was an abuser. Yeah, maybe he was overly medicated and drunk and end up in the in the wrong woman's room, quote unquote. Yeah, maybe he texted someone inappropriately and and other stuff that I'm sure will be coming to light soon, right? But look at all the fruit. Look at how big they are. Look at how many people they've reached for God. They 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 lie to themselves, thinking. That you know what what's a few mistakes compared to the good, right. which is so funny because I don't know about you, Noah, but when I was a kid mm-hmm. and I was sitting under youth group pastors and teachers, yeah, what they would often do was was they they would take some kind of like uh like brownie batter, right? Be like, mm-hmm. listen, we love brownie batters, but what happens if I just stick you know just one piece of dog poop in here? Does anyone want to <laughs> eat it? And you go, no, of course not. They go, that's what sin is sin right. ruins the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So so that I think about, about that example often because the, so many of the same people who taught me that are now like, "Well, Tim, it's just a little bit of sin. It's just a little bit. Look right. at all the good." So they they really they really don't hold themselves to their own standards that they mm-hmm. hold other people to. Right? Yeah. And 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 that's why so many of us are trying to find or trying to understand different ways of understanding the Christian tradition theologically because the theology that we've inherited, it's just so damaging. It's so exclusive. It's so fundamentalist. And and it's also weaponized to protect men in power who do bad things while also shaming actual victims like Eileen Gray, for example, or Ashton uh, from Camp And
0: And the whole thing seems like it comes from a very distorted perspective on what fruit actually is. Right. Because when they defend that, when someone like, um, you know, Alyssa B. Stuckey or the people that are, you know, ranting against the Hillsong documentary, any of these cases, when they're saying, oh, look at all the good that's been done here. Look at all of the people where it's, it's all like this very consumerist mindset of what fruit is. Fruit is this sort of like this amount number of people that we've reached or this amount of money that we've raised for this. You know, you were posting the other day about that um, the leadership conference sales. And I was reading through all the, what they were selling pastors on there and what leadership and what building the kingdom quote looked like. And it was all numbers based. It was all based on like, how big can we make this? If you read, um, the Hillsong documentary, like Brian Houston, you, you listen to the clips of him talking about what he's building. He's building an empire. You know, it's, right. about, it's about size and grandeur and it's this very materialistic mindset where the people then sort of, whether whether it's the intention of everyone involved or not, inevitably become the commodity um, and the product, Right. you know? Right. And so it's this really distorted version. And I just look at that when I hear somebody say like, well, look at the fruit. I don't, I, I just can't associate those two things that way, you know, because right. the fruit to me is the people who are being harmed. The amount yeah. of people that end up, tithing in your building and signing a little paper that says, I committed to Jesus is not fruit. That's right. that's just how well your marketing stunt is working. Right. And that sounds so cynical, and I know that. Um, and obviously there are people that, sure, somebody's life has been changed by John MacArthur. I'm not denying that. But I'm saying that maybe our metrics are completely wrong if this kind of harm is going on and we're just willing to wipe it all under the rug because of, of some kind of consumerist value that we've associated kingdom with.
1: When I was in my old church still, we would have these baptisms every, whatever it was, a couple of weeks. You know, it's a big yeah, deal. Sure. And I remember I was there for six years. And I remember thinking at like year four or five, like, huh, a lot of the people who I've seen walk down the aisle and pray the prayer and even get baptized, mm-hmm. they're not here anymore. Like they're just gone. And I'm like, is this, it? but 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 that person still counts. You know, uh, with the church as like a soul that was saved, someone that we reached for Jesus, but they're yeah. not there anymore. Like they're gone. They might not. Have, they might not not even be following Jesus anymore. And you're absolutely right, Noah. Like like the metrics that we've used, it's just. It's so. I don't know. It, it's so. Clear to me now. It wasn't then, but it's clear to me that that really church is borrowing from culture. They're mm-hmm. borrowing culture's metrics. They're borrowing our yeah. own culture's metrics of bigger is. They're, they're borrowing capitalist metrics. Yeah, right. And they're saying this is how we measure success. And then they're damning the world or other churches for being too worldly for talking about <laughs> you know uh, racism, right. right, or social justice. Right, but they don't for even caring see about people. <laughs> right, but they don't even see that that they are also borrowing from culture yeah. in a way that really dehumanizes people and just makes them a number. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, I mean, dude, how many Easter Sundays have you been a part of where it's like the following week, wow, oh my we had God. over 40 souls come mm-hmm. to Christ. Over 100 people came to Christ. You see you see them bragging about it on their Facebook, yeah. right? Did they really though? Right. Most most are not there anymore. Yeah right they just signed the paper the metric is shit yeah. <laughs> like it's it's a bad metric it's a bad yeah. metric and, and i agree with you 100% yeah and, and- Bread aisle, are you ready to rock? Dave's Killer Bread is the country's number one organic bread for a reason. Always delivering killer taste, killer texture, and killer nutrition. This isn't bread. This is bread
0: amplified. That was my frustration, you know, when I was at the church that I was working at previously, and and we talked about numbers. And, you know, at the end there, I was really struggling with a lot of internal tension because I was thinking, like, even Sunday to Sunday, like, are the things that we're doing here actually an act of care for the people that are entrusting us with themselves and their, right. their spiritual growth, or are these things decisions that we're making to fill the seats? And, you know, right. I would come with some of these concerns to people and, um, and the objections would be like, well, less people would show up if we did that, you know, but I'm like, right. But, right. But, but would those people be more enriched? Like, <laughs> you know, And but that's not that's not the metrics, and whether that's intentional or whether that comes from all of the pressures of this being a career and all of the financial securities and all the all of that you know shit that's built up in the system now that creates all of this, even at like a micro level, even at smaller churches. Yes, it's it's just so difficult to look at that and not see it as there's like a poisoned root to this whole thing, and and I'm with you there. I'm starting to really struggle to reconcile that and have any hope that. This thing that we're looking at, this, you know, American white Western evangelicalism is something that can actually be redeemed.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the reasons why these numbers are so attractive is because people really think that if they don't, people are going to burn in hell forever. Like, it is primarily... Even the term soul winning, like, who invented that term? (laughs) It makes me feel gross, right? Right. But it's the idea of saving the soul from hell, which isn't even a biblical idea, considering how Paul and Jesus are committed to some kind of bodily resurrection, Mm -hmm. ultimately. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that's why, you know? Because for them... It's well, we could feed someone, but if we save their soul from hell in the long term, what's really more important? right, right? like, hey, maybe they're poor here, but they're rich in heaven right like it's it, it, it's that kind of carrot on a stick and and in that the that ideology, that theology is what has led to other Christians really being numbed to other people's suffering because well, listen, don't worry, it gets better in the next life, right. I, you know so yeah. it, it is what it is but it is it is very frustrating and uh, you know i agree with you what's interesting is i know that like this is not new i know i'm not the first person to think about this sure um you know and i know that like especially black liberation this is what a lot of this has come out of yeah. and so there's there's certainly other ways to think about this i think that the reason why i posted that reel the other day was because you know i first of I, I like being honest uh with the community but number two um I think like it's important to recognize when maybe intentions have shifted on an organizational level, mm-hmm. right? Like from oh, maybe we can reform, maybe maybe we can we can push things forward this way. To actually, I don't know if this if this part of of Christianity is salvageable, yeah. and I think that we have to let it go and maybe maybe even, even be part of its dismantling and also lean into other ways that are already established. Like we're not yep. trying to start anything new here, right. but uh, lean into other ways. Of being Christian, of being committed to Jesus, that that at a minimum allow for accountability, right? Like I, we have to be, and I, we say this often, but it's not about being perfect. We, we sure. any any tradition has any anywhere has problems. Doesn't matter if it's Christian or not. But the accountability piece, the repentance piece, those are, are the missing pieces that a lot of us, I think, are so desperate looking for. And you know, we're finding Noah that it's it's these issues are are not just in those circles. I mean, I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's been some stuff that's been happening even in our own deconstruction spaces, you oh. know, with Dirty Rotten Church Kids, mm-hmm. and, 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 and there's been some other stuff that's happened with some other accounts that I've heard of through the grapevine. So just because an account is de- is a deconstruction account or is critical of the church, it doesn't mean that it's automatically um, going to be safe or that it's going to handle itself well. Now, I don't know the full story yet with Dirty Rotten Church Kids. It seems like Adrian's been handling things really well. I've talked to two of the victims um, who were kind of involved with Josh, who is the other half of Dirty Rotten Church Kids. So it seems like they are handling it well so far, which is great. I'm really glad to hear that. And friends, I don't know many details. You can go to their Instagram account, Dirty Rotten Church Kids. There's a statement there. And then on the second post where comments are enabled, you can see from the victims themselves. So I just recommend you you going to read that. But I, I bring that up because I think what's happening is, is that we have to understand that As we try to create some new spaces, if all we know is toxic evangelicalism, we have to be so careful with how we build these new spaces. And I'm talking about myself here, right? Like I am a product of white, male-centered evangelical culture. It's all we've ever known, right? (laughs) Right. And so how we develop new evangelicals, how we build it, how we have the power distributed throughout the organization – Right, that's important. That's that's a big deal, yeah. um, and so I, I am aware of that. Doesn't mean I'm, I'm always going to be perfect, but we have to have systems that allow for accountability. Um, and I think I think though also, and this is a new thought, so friends, just bear with me. I'm trying to work this out a little bit, but just like how someone on this side of the screen, right, like maybe myself or Noah or whoever who 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 help out on like the the I'm going to use a, a maybe a slightly triggering term, but the on the side of leadership we'll say okay people who are like in charge of some of this stuff there's definitely um legitimate pitfalls that we can easily fall back into that create toxic systems of abuse narcissism all that kind of stuff however there's also another cycle of people who are used to consuming from the evangelical church finding new spaces to consume and then putting those people who are on that platform in a place where they're also infallible. Right. So like, you know, so what I'm thinking of is like person a comes to church, sees the pastor says, Oh my God, this pastor has helped me. I love this pastor. They are infallible. They could do no wrong. Turns out pastor is abusive. Right. And like the whole world comes crumbling down. Can, can we repeat that cycle as well in these spaces? Yes, like, yes, we absolutely, absolutely can, you know. And so, I think, and I, I think part of that is, is I think how we, how we defeat some of that is we keep in mind that A, I'm not a leader, I'm a tour guide, I'm a facilitator, right? Maybe I, I've helped to build some of this stuff up, but also B, people should be empowered and they should feel a sense of, 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 um, not commitment, but like a sense of ownership where it's like, you know I can speak to Tim or to Noah if I think something is wrong. Now, obviously, when you have a lot of people, you can't listen to every single opinion and 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 um, enact every single perspective, right? But the idea is that you have that open communication. I mean, honestly, Noah, this is so dumb, but like that's part of why, like, even when 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 I'm on camera sometimes my hair isn't, isn't done. I'm not, I don't look that great because I want people to know, like, I'm, I'm not pretending, you know, there isn't like some like facade of Tim. Like, Ooh, this is Instagram, Tim. This is real life, Tim. That's not how it works for me. Like I wake up, I talk to you all. What you see is what you get. Sometimes I look good. Sometimes I don't, I don't give a shit. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think those little things hopefully help break down that wall. Does, am I making sense here? Absolutely. Yeah, and and the way don't that... lie to me, Noah. No, don't you lie to me. No, because right. <laughs> if you if, if you don't well, tell me what I want to hear, I'm going to fire you. Oh, you know? I know. I know how it works. I'm under a lot of stress here. Um,
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, and I think that the way that I like break that down in my mind is that there needs to be a radical change in what we value, um, yeah, culturally yeah. within. Um, I guess you say within the Christian community. However, you want to parse that out, um, and, and I think that that's a lot of what we're pushing back on, and a lot of what, for myself, what I'm recognizing when when my hope, because you know, I I still wake up every day with this hope, like the change is possible, you know, mm. and and mm. by the end of the day, it feels like it gets knocked back a couple pegs more often <laughs> than I want to admit. But yeah. the the thing that I I see is like what needs to change now is a radical shift in actually the values that that create all of the decisions. Yes. And that's, you know, that's what we need to develop as as new evangelicals or as people that are walking away from this thing. And I think that's the thing that that must be changed within those systems for them to possibly reform. And I think it's the least likely thing to change. And, and I don't say that out of cynicism, I just out of observation, because the values are what's propping, propping up the security of the whole thing, whether that's the value right. of the image, that's the value of the the metrics, the consumerist mindset um and some of that does play into the theology too like you mentioned you know the, the fear of hell these these things that all um enforce some of those values and, and the way that they're carried out but i i don't think that they're they mutually have to go together i think that there's a better way forward even even within those theological traditions though i may disagree with some of them i think that there is room <coughs> to recognize that the, the way in which we're approaching these values the way we're building other values around them for our systems Aren't, aren't working for the care, the betterment of the actual people involved. And and we yes. need to change that. Whether or not that's going to happen, I don't know. I, I sure hope it does. You know, I, I, I hope that the work that happens here, the work that happens in the individual lives of the people in our community and, and similar communities is moving <coughs> culture forwards in this direction. But I, I don't know. You know, I don't know where we're going <sighs> to land. But that change in values—that yeah. thing that you're expressing—you know—even in yourself, when you choose not to do your hair before you take a video—you know—that's an expression of value of like what I'm valuing here is authenticity rather than presentation.
1: Right. Right. Well, th- okay. And, and that's actually—you you hit a, a great point that I think's worth—that's that's, maybe that's a rare for thing. A minute. So let's let's <laughs> like
0: glorify that for a moment because it's not going to happen again anytime soon, and I just want to bask in that
1: for a second. Go ahead, Noah. The spotlight's <laughs> all yours, man. Um that's part of what we're seeing in evangelicalism yep. like so here's the thing right i think for a long time a lot of us assumed that if we had shared beliefs we we would have shared values mm-hmm. right oh if we believe this about the bible and this about you know whatever it is about god and jesus and salvation then our values will be the same right and trump exposed right 2016 and and the murder of, uh, of ahmad and Briona and george floyd that whole segment of life in you know, the pandemic yeah. showed that our values are not the same. yeah they're just not mm-hmm. and that that made me rethink like well if my values are not the same then our, is our theology really the same right are are my beliefs really the same? yeah ultimately, I'm more centered at this point on values than I am on on belief like for example, Joe Lumen who I love I talk to her all the time Joe and I do not share a lot of the same beliefs. Around God, around Jesus, the Bible. We share some, <clears throat> but we share the same value of liberation, of 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 doing our best to decolonize ourselves, right? Of doing our best to think about the other, trying to bring heaven to earth. We share those values. And that's why I love working with her. Yeah. And so I, I think that is such a big point for us to recognize. Russell Moore and I have very different beliefs about a lot of things. A lot. But in a lot of ways, he shares a lot of the same values that I share when it comes to church accountability, resisting Christian nationalism. That's why I can have him on the podcast. We can have a great conversation, even if some of our beliefs are radically different. Sure. Right. And and and, and there are there's certainly room to critique what, you know, what 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 do beliefs give birth to and are they healthy? We can debate all that. OK. But the point is that I think a lot of us are finding that we assume that, that beliefs and values were one and the same. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it it wasn't. It wasn't. And 2016 really showed us that. Like, oh my God, I thought that if we had the same belief about sexuality surely who would vote for the guy on the cover of playboy turns out 80 percent of white evangelicals would right? right like the value was different does that make sense
0: yeah no that makes a lot of sense and i think that and i'm, I'm probably being redundant here but i just wanted to stress something else that you were getting out there is that a lot of times our theology is a development from our values rather than the other way around as mm. as much as that's not something that uh, say a conservative evangelical would want to admit um a lot of times those values are actually the thing that drive us to to interpret something a specific way.
1: Mm. That is a great point. Well, I I, I think we should also talk about um, another conference that's coming up that I saw. Speaking of, again, <laughs> just another example of like what the hell is happening. So a lot of you know probably Nathan Finocchio by now. He's a guy on Instagram, used to be at Hillsong. He, he founded what's called TheosU. It's like a digital... Um, I don't think it's accredited. I think like you pay a subscription and you can watch teachings on theology. Nathan's Instagram is pretty problematic, especially his stories. Um, he said a lot of things I think are just really harmful and really, he doesn't seem like a nice guy. Now I've talked to Nathan personally, privately, and he was great to me, super charitable. He even thanked me for being in the deconstructing world and said, we, you know, we need more people like you. And then like a week later or two weeks later, he lit me up on Instagram because Devon, our intern at the time, did a series on women in leadership. And he just totally like I mocked him and mocked what we were doing. I was like, OK, this is weird. We were also scheduled to have a podcast interview, but he ended up missing the first appointment. And then um, after we, we rescheduled, his assistant then postponed it again. And then I said, I'm done. I'm not going to keep chasing this guy down. So I have not talked to him since then. But he has, or the Theosu the does a conference every year, and this year now it's a pretty big lineup, and there's a lot of people on there that we could talk about like a lot. But I want to highlight three people that are speaking at this Theosu conference, which which we can register as we found out for free and watch. So the the, the first big speaker is Matt Chandler, which I'm ready like okay whatever you know it's Matt it's Matt not a huge fan. Also, why would Matt go on you know speak at a conference where Nathan or mm-hmm. someone like yeah Nathan, that one got me too. It doesn't make any sense. Like, Nathan, I mean, he, in my view, Nathan mocks often. He dehumanizes. Like, he just is very, yeah, anyway, well, if, he's, just, if, he's just Nathan.
0: Am I correct? Matt, Matt Chandler was actually one of the voices that began to say something productive about the race conversation a few years ago that, that would have, that um, Nathan would have, you know, radically disagreed with.
1: I I I think so. I can't verify that, but I remember hearing whispers about like, you know, okay, hey, Matt, all right, not bad, Matt. Maybe we're <laughs> heading somewhere kind of thing, sure, right? Yeah. So he's speaking and then you have um Eric Metaxas is speaking. Now Ooh. Eric Metaxas – Okay, if you don't know who he is, he was someone who founded the Jericho March, which happened before the January 6th insurrection. It was a rally to fight the election being stolen from Donald Trump. Eric Metaxas has gone off the far right deep end over the past, like, two years. Um, and I would argue he was one of the leading voices that gave birth to the insurrection. And he still preached that, you know, the election's been stolen. I mean, he he's, he's – I hate to – I don't want to dehumanize, but he's kind of like a far-right hack at this point. Like It's almost a joke. He's speaking, which, again, like, why? And then you have Mark freaking Driscoll speaking, which is so crazy (laughs) because Mark used to be the president of the Axe 29 network. Matt Chandler took over for him. So you have Matt Chandler and Mark Driscoll speaking at the same conference, which tells me... That they're at least on good terms or at least on neutral terms, Mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense because in the beginning of this year in January, Matt Chandler um, did an interview with Christianity Today, and they gave him so many layups. This was when the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast was really hot, and and for those of you who don't know, that podcast was a 15-episode series by Christianity today that documented how abusive and how harmful Mark Driscoll was when he started his church. Okay. So this was this was a hot topic. And the interviewer gave Matt Chandler so many layups to like publicly say Mark should not be in leadership. Mark should not be a pastor. And he didn't. He said nothing about Mark Driscoll. And now here he is speaking at the same conference that that um that Matt Chandler is at, or Mark Driscoll is at. It honestly blows my mind why we're still platforming Mark Driscoll and why someone like Nathan who claims to be this like Bible nerd, Bible-believing Christian, you know, Orthodox and everything has no problem platforming someone who clearly by their own standards of qualification for elder and teacher is so clearly disqualified. But, you know, here we are, Noah, and it, it just it grinds my gears. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Part of me is like very tempted because it's free to sign up for this conference and just to like, you know, suffer through it. And and I just I don't even understand those choices. I mean, you laid it out better than I could express it, honestly. But just the bizarreness about those choices of 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 keynote speakers and what that reflects about the um, defensiveness of this evangelical culture that these people that are that in a lot of ways at least from my understanding should be pretty diametrically opposed to each other you know are willing to all get in the room together around this and and take this collective stand against god knows what they're going to talk about at this conference i mean when you go on the the theosu website the first thing you see are ads for courses about you know, critical race theory and homosexuality and, and liberalism of and all course. this stuff—like that's the that's that's what he's promoting as his talking points about what you're going to get out of these courses. So you can already guess, you know, what this conference is going to be about. And well, and and, the fact and that these—am starting
1: to get chuffed now. No, gone, no. Well,
0: I just think it's it's sad and and fascinating in a weird sense to me that you're getting these these voices together in a room that should be so opposed to each other for a number of reasons. That aren't. And again, it come, probably comes back to the, the value conversation, right? Because some of the values that they hold about, you know, power are maybe more important than their own convictions about the well-being of people and how that should influence our theology.
1: Well, you know, if you go to the website, the first thing you see is spirit and truth. That's like the big thing. Having Eric Pentaxis as a guest speaker is not spirit or truth. The man has promoted blatant election fraud lies in mm. the name of God. For years, right? Like there's no sense of truth. Now, here's what's so interesting. When I talked to Nathan privately, he kind of hinted, like, hey, listen, I the conservatives don't like me either. I say things that get them upset. Mm-hmm. He, he it's not true. I mean, yeah. he is it's clear if you watch his stories or if you look at this lineup that he lands in in right/slash far right circles. I mean, clearly, and I know this because. His brother, his brother, Gabriel Finocchio, who I've also talked to privately, one day his brother randomly like chatted me on Instagram via video chat. Again, super cordial to me, super nice to me, publicly a different kind of person. So he goes to a church called the King's Church in New York City, which was started by a guy named Dave Engelhart, who is the brother-in-law. I'm not going to say of who, but he's a well I know him because he is a well-known musician who toured with a very well-known worship band for a mm. lot of years. Okay? okay, and and I knew this David guy because I was close to that person at the time. And when the election stuff happened, that person started sending me his brother-in-law, who was talking to Charlie Kirk. That's this David Engelhart guy. He's a lawyer. But he is, again, same thing, election fraud, far right, we're not going to mask up. I mean, it's, it's a typical, like, far right conservative fundamentalist who thinks that he knows everything, he has absolute truth, etc. And these guys all talk, you know, mm-hmm. like, I know Gabriel and Nathan are close. I know that Nathan's been to Gabriel's church where David Engelhart is pastoring in New York City. Like, that's the thing is, like, Nathan can try and make it seem like he's a moderate yeah, but the people he surrounds himself with are not moderates. Yeah. They are far right. Which is listen, just call it what it is. Just admit that 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 theosu you know is is a think tank for far right theology, for far right sexual ethics, and for far right politics. Like just yeah. call it what it is. And it drives me crazy when they don't. And and this speaker lineup is such a great example of. Again, Mark Driscoll. I mean, one of the most notoriously abusive pastors in white evangelical spaces. The, yeah. the the guy has an entire podcast dedicated to him, and Matt Chandler speaking at a conference where Mark's going to be. The optics of that, at a minimum, even if even if Matt and Mark never see each other, even if Matt and Mark are, are aren't even friends, the optics is total horseshit. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's a statement of what's truly important. And that's exactly. just heartbreaking that's to me. Right. And, um, right. you know, Metaxas, just to like pile on this a little bit, you know, mm. speaking of the, the election and all that, very, very committed to this idea of fraud, um, you know, has quotes like, you know, for those of us who know this is a massive fraud, we have no choice but to fight. Quote, we need to fight to the death, to the last drop of blood because it's worth it. That's a direct <laughs> quote. Like, Jesus. And, and I have and seen much worse than that from him. I can't find right. it right now when I'm just doing a quick Google search, but mm. the incitement of violence... The aggression that that's being promoted here and then now pl- platformed, but, you know, by someone like Finocchio, who may at least claim to be moderate in these conversations and just the, the layers of deception there are are heartbreaking and, and a whole lot of other words. You know, it's it's yeah. just too much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it is, man. I mean, and, and, you know, this is why I made the real the reel that I made where it's like, is this salvageable? Because they don't see it, yeah. They just don't, you know. Like there's a certain arrogance of white evangelicalism, generally speaking. There's a certain arrogance of well, we have the truth, no one else has it. There's an arrogance of we have to defend, you know, uh, God and defend the Bible as if the creator of the universe needs (laughs) needs to be defended from other humans. Okay, but he does apparently, you know. And and honestly, it, it, it really. Is centered on like two or three things, um, racism, sexuality, and who you vote for. Yeah, those are the three things. We're not talking about like Nicene Creed stuff here. We're not talking about you know, um, you know, re- legitimately orthodox positions. We're talking yeah. about things that like they're debated. They've been debated. I mean, I, one quick thing, and then I'll, we'll get ready to wrap up. But you know, the sexual ethic one's a great one because they always say, well you know, queer inclusion is not historically a sexual orthodox position. That's true, but neither is birth control. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, if you practice birth control, congratulations, you don't practice a historical Christian ethic. Because until, like, 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 the 1920s, everywhere, every church, including Protestants, did not believe in using any kind of contraceptives period. Yeah. I mean nothing. No pull out method, nothing, okay? Yeah. You're not wrapping it up. No birth control <laughs> wasn't invented then, but it was not a thing. And now no, almost no white evangelical thinks twice about using birth control. So, so again, they just think that like their shit don't stink. Like, oh, we have the corner on on orthodoxy, but you don't. It's, it's 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 honestly a load of malarkey. And the more I do this work, right, the more I read, I'm sure the same thing with you, Noah. The more we the more we're in these spaces, the more like, wait, they're not even even the words that 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 they use and that they've cornered mm-hmm. aren't even applicable to them. Yeah, they really redefined these words. Yeah, and then they said, "Well, no, we're we're just we're just holding the line on orthodoxy." No, no, no. You've redefined orthodoxy, and then you said you're holding the line on your version of orthodoxy Mm -hmm. while telling us that it's historical Christian Christianity.
0: Yeah, well, it's ah! like it's like you know the queer inclusion one's a great example because when you look at the 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 studies and there's entire books about this, you you study what those six clobber passages actually meant in their original context and what they were condemning was. Uh, you know, pedophilic, sexually abusive behavior with power dynamics, you know? So the verses that right. are being used to exclude people in the church, to push people away, are the verses right. that actually are condemning the actions of the people in power and exposing them to be wolves in sheep's clothing, you know? Yeah. So it's that whole thing that all of this is being twisted to propagate a lie.
1: Yeah, yeah, well said. Well, I don't know. I feel better now. Do you feel think, better?
0: Yeah, we, we got all our ranting out, so... <laughs>
1: I can I can get
0: like to my work day now and actually get something done.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, right? <laughs> well, I think we we will we'll put the pause on 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 this on this conversation for now. Um, I think we I think we covered a lot of ground. Yeah, hopefully our we audience gotta, enjoyed it.
0: Some week later, we got to do the Erwin McManus stuff too. Oh, a I know load and a half, but uh, but I'm out I of know. breath
1: now from you know. Same. And I have another meeting I have to go to after this. So, all right, friends. Well, here you go. Another episode, little bonus episode for you. Hopefully you enjoyed it. If you like the show, give us a rating, subscribe, share us with a friend. If you want to support us, you can click on the link in our show notes or follow us on social media. We'll talk to you all next time.